We got some big news here last week at Pittsburgh City Paper. Maybe you've heard, maybe you're just hearing, but the news is that Eagle Publishing has purchased Pittsburgh City Paper. Later in today's show, Charlie Deach is going to explain the sale in more detail, and he's going to answer some of the questions that you probably have. We met the new owners for the first time last Thursday, and I think it went pretty well. Obviously, everything is new at this point, but the whole thing got me thinking about first impressions, and it reminded me of this particular first impression I made when I was a young man. The story starts out when I was in second grade, and I attended my first ever rock show. It was Aerosmith. This is a super cool first concert to have, and I know that because I've asked around the City Paper office, and honestly, I'm kind of the clear winner. Charlie's first was Bruce Springsteen, which is good, but it was on a tour with uh, no E Street Band, and Bruce wasn't really playing any of the songs that Charlie wanted to hear, so that one's kind of a wash. Celine started with Blink-182 and Sum 41. Margaret's was Rebecca St. James, who I, I, don't, I don't know who that is. And Ashley started with Britney Spears. So, yeah, Aerosmith wins. I was seven years old. It was in Worcester, Massachusetts. These are the details as I remember them. It may not be exact. It was December. It was 1994, and Steven Tyler wore a Santa hat on stage. That's about all I remember in terms of details. I fell asleep pretty much immediately after the band came out, but that didn't stop me from bragging to all my friends the next day that I had stayed out past midnight. My teacher, Mrs. Davies, said, you stayed out later than me. And I remember thinking for the first time in my life that I was cool. Bedtimes and street credit aside, my most valuable takeaway from the concert was an Aerosmith t-shirt for their album at that time called Get a Grip. If you don't remember the cover of this album, it shows a cow's udder with one of them pierced and with letters that say, get a grip. And the cow has like an Aerosmith tattoo. Now this thing was immediately the coolest thing I had ever touched and it became my number one outfit right off the bat. My parents were a little hesitant to let their seven-year-old sport this vaguely inappropriate shirt around town, but I was allowed to wear it in the house. Then in 1995, my dad took a job in New York and we moved to a suburb of New York City. I was totally against it. You know, young kid, you don't really want to move, leave your friends, whatever. So I was against it from the outset, and then even once we had settled in, I kind of remained against it. My grandmother died shortly after we moved, and this was, to me, further proof that New York was just unspeakably bogus. Boston, by contrast, was a place where I had friends and a grandmother, there were Aerosmith concerts all the time, and New York had none of these things, to my knowledge. They had pizza and Broadway musicals, and I didn't give a shit. New York was all wrong for me. So, it's my first day of school at the new school, and I'm just in total grumpy mode. I don't want to go. I'm giving my mom a hard time. I'm being a little dick about it. And I don't remember if it was her or me that broached the subject, but eventually we agreed that I could wear my Aerosmith shirt on day one. And you know what? That was enough to put my mind at ease. I tossed it on gave my bowl cut a little comb, and I headed out. This thing was an immediate success. An Aerosmith shirt is like the third grade version of beating up the toughest guy on your first day in prison. These kids were blown away, wide-eyed, pointing at the udder, and their tiny little heads exploded, and I would just nod be like, yeah, man, get a grip. It was the most efficient way to establish myself as a cool dude right off the bat which is a reputation I squandered by 8th grade, but it doesn't matter. It still counts. 
Friends still talk to me about this Aerosmith shirt to this day, and I actually still have it, technically. And it's technically because at this point it's kind of indistinguishable from like a tattered rag. There's really no sign of the udders or any, you know, Aerosmith letters or anything like that. It kind of looks like a bunch of thongs, like the underwear just tied in a knot. It really does look like that. Anyway, so last week when I got the call about the changes here at City Paper and meeting our new owners, the first thing that came to my mind was get a grip. I didn't end up wearing it. I opted for khakis and a black t-shirt, probably a good choice. But I'd like to think that telling this story is kind of like the second best thing, you know? Get a grip. I'm Alex Gordon. This is the Pittsburgh City Paper Podcast. Today, we are talking about Bernie Sanders' visit to the David Lawrence Convention Center last week. We're discussing the paper sale with Charlie, and Celine takes us to a hop farm out by Slippery Rock. Stick around. Last week, about 8,500 Bernie Sanders supporters flocked to the David L. Lawrence Convention Center to hear the presidential candidate and Vermont senator speak. He talked about changing the nation's trade deals, the importance of local unions and manufacturing. He talked about rebuilding inner cities and women's right to choose. And the crowd loved it. Here's an audio postcard from the rally from producer Ashley Murray.
You just heard from Chico Butler, Marcus Robinson, Lester Ludwig, and Mary Ellen Pursuit, who were at the Bernie Sanders rally in Pittsburgh last week. Now we're headed to our panel with Ashley Murray, Charlie Deach, and photographer Renee Rosensteel. Quick note about the sound in this next uh, segment. It's not exactly uh, great. It's a little bit not so great, but if you just, you know, use your imagination, just picture it as like old timey. Just like think of it as like a fireside chat. Anyway, enjoy. All right, now here this week to talk about the experience of covering the Bernie Sanders rally is freelance photographer Renee Rosensteel and City Paper Multimedia Editor Ashley Murray. Also here to talk about a big change we experienced here at City Paper last week is our editor, Charlie Deach. Hey, everybody. Hey, Alex. Hi. All right, Charlie, let's start with you, because many people saw the news last week that City Paper was purchased by Eagle Publishing. Who is Eagle Publishing, and what does this mean for our beloved Alt Weekly? Uh, Eagle Publishing is a uh, family-owned publishing company from uh, Butler County. They publish the Butler Eagle and the Cranberry Eagle. Um, they, they've long had an association with City Paper, and we've always had our paper printed there. So they've seen our work for many years, and they've apparently they like what they've seen to the point that um, they decided to. Uh, put in a bid and, and purchase the papers. So um, this is all happening very quick. I mean, I don't have a ton of information right now, I guess, but um, I've met with uh, I've met with the owners and the new publisher, Van Smith. Um, they all seem uh, – uh, they, they like what we do. They want us to continue to do what we do. And um, so to the public at large, they shouldn't notice any change at all. So the Butler Eagle, uh, they operate in a county that's a little bit more uh, conservative – been hours. Um, you could say that. Yeah. Um, could you talk about how that might affect uh, what we do moving forward? So I talked about this with the with the new owners, and um, I think people will notice if they read their editorial pages that they probably even come from a bit of a more conservative standpoint. Um, but I've been assured. I mean, you don't buy something unless you know what you're buying. So they've clearly, as they told me, they've read our paper. They really like what we do, and they want us to continue doing what we're doing. So. Yeah, right now, I mean, as far as I know, as far as I've been told, it's not going to have any any effect at all. And I, I, I believe it. I mean, they seem genuine in, in how much they they like what we do here, both in the paper and online at www.pghcitypaper.com. Uh, they also operate with a paywall. Is that something that uh, might happen here at Pittsburgh City Paper? No, I've been assured. I mean, for us who, you know, work, it seems like, a, I mean, why would you have a paywall for something that, you can get free on the streets, and they agree with the same thing. They, in fact, they've they've guaranteed that it just it doesn't make sense for this business model to have a paywall. So, yeah, there'll be no paywall uh, whatsoever. Every all the content will be um, will continue for free. You know, you can get it for free online. Um, and we're hoping that uh, actually we're hoping that this move um, will allow us to really upgrade the products in some ways and offer more. Uh, online offerings as well as potentially other print offerings and so forth. So this is – I will say this. I think that the paper is going – you're going to see the paper be able to grow under this new uh, under this new ownership. I'm looking forward to that. I really am. All right. Another thing I wanted to talk to you about is your column this week. You wrote about whether or not the supporters that uh, came out to see Bernie Sanders last week in Pittsburgh were actually translate to votes in the primary later this month. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, I was I was impressed by by uh, the crowds that came out to see Bernie Sanders um, last week, and you know he, 
I'm also impressed by the fact that when he got in this race, everyone was thinking, oh, this is sort of – he's nothing more than a distraction, I guess, on Hillary's way to getting the nomination. And um, I like the fact that he's been able to turn this into a sp- more spirited campaign. He's been able to force Hillary Clinton to talk about issues that maybe she wouldn't ordinarily talk about. Mm-hmm. What I'm wondering, though, is um, – Will this actually transform into boats? Boats. Will this? Tra- it may transform into boats. But what I'm really <laughs> concerned about, Alex, is will it transform into votes on election day? Um, and it could. I mean, certainly uh, we saw that from the grassroots support that Obama had. Uh, I'll say this: I was at a few Obama campaign events before he was elected in 2008, and he never had one at the convention center. I think that was kind of a ballsy move because he could show up and there could be, you know, a few hundred people in there. And it's going to look it's going to look like a real small, you know, it's going to look like a big room at that point. So it's so, yeah, so we're going to we're going to look at that. And then we also uh, have our election issue coming up next week. when We're going to look at the, the presidential election in a little more detail. Um, but really, the people I think that we should ask about the rally are Renee and Ashley, because they were actually there on the floor and yeah. uh, probably have some. Uh, some good perspective on on what the crowd was like. Yeah, Renee, I wanted to ask you about your uh, your pictures from the rally. Uh, people got really creative with their signs. There was a Bernie Sanders as Christopher Lloyd's Back to the Future character, saying that we need Bernie to take us back to the future or to the future. Others did a sort of Bernie meets Andy Warhol pop art signs, and one woman even wore a wig with a bird's nest on it, which is a, you know a reference to the the bird incident uh, in Portland. So can you tell me a little bit about uh, what you were looking for and what you saw at that rally when you were taking pictures? I was looking for uh, people who were really having fun with the whole, you know, extravaganza of politics. And I, I think that um, the thing that I've noticed in Bernie supporters is, first off, they're kind. They're the sweetest people. But um, the the second thing I, I've noticed is that um, – they're really having fun with him as a brand, like beyond what he's saying, you know, in in terms of policy, they're just enjoying, you know, doing their own take on who they think he is. And and that was one of the things I'd hoped would come out. What was one of the most memorable things you saw that day? Well, there there were two things that, that I really liked. Um, one was the the woman who had painted her tights with uh, sort of the, the Bernie hair going all over the place and um, and his glasses. And she, she had them all up and down her tights. And I, I said, wait, I have to take this picture. <laughs> and then there was another guy who was further away, and I couldn't get out of the, the corral that they have us, the media people in. But um, he had on a, a um, little um, – Paps blue ribbon beer button that said Bernie fucking Sanders, and I thought that was just hilarious. Yeah. I was like, oh, that's wrong, but it's fun. Yeah, yeah, that that was really big. The yeah. Bernie fucking Sanders Paps blue ribbon logo. <laughs> I saw a lot of people. There was even a sign that it was a PBR um, box yeah. that somebody had <laughs> ripped apart and done a Bernie Sanders sign on the other side. So there was some PBR. Um, being being Big noted there, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Ashley, from your end, what was it like uh, being a, a member of the press or the media covering an event like this? So um, I quickly learned that you don't bring coffee to these things, um, and I I needed coffee because we had to be there at 7:30 a.m. Mm. So I bought a cup along the way, and uh, then I bypassed the long line and I give to the media check-in, 
And then they sort of, uh, Renee also experienced this. They, they pass you from volunteer to volunteer. So, like, one volunteer walks you, like, 30 to 60 feet, and then they pass you on to the next volunteer who walks you 90 feet. And so when I get to the volunteer who walks me past the restrooms portion, he says, well, if you think you're going to have to go to the restroom at all this morning, this is your last chance. And I was like, well. And Charlie sits beside me at work, and he knows that I get up from my desk at least once an hour. I don't know what she's doing, but she does get up. At most five times an hour. Um, So I went in, and I uh, dumped my coffee down the drain and, you know, went pee and everything. So (laughs) then then I get in the line to check in, and – the you know we're getting searched and the secret service tells you put your gear down put your all your bags down and so at this point i had a camera bag and a tripod bag and so i put them down and then i see the bomb sniffing dog on standby and so i remember i have an egg and cheese sandwich in my camera bag <laughs> so i run out of line and i get the egg and cheese sandwich because my first thought is i do not want this dog to yeah. eat my egg and cheese sandwich because while I pee once an hour, that's about my eating schedule. Um, so, <laughs> so I get my egg and cheese sandwich, and, you know, the dog sniffs the bags, and they're just searching them. And I start eating in line. I'm not really paying attention. And uh, so when they're done, I just kind of pop that last bite in my mouth and uh, so that I could use both hands to get my bags. So I, I get out of line, and I pick up my bags, and I have this bite of sandwich in my mouth. And then I hear... Did I tell you to check your bags? And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> it was a secret service yeah. guy. Yeah. Wow. Um, and, and I'm young, and I, all my peers are around me, and I'm thinking I don't want to be known as the journalist in Pittsburgh who, like, screws up in front of the secret service. Yeah. The egg but sandwich lady. The egg yeah. sandwich lady. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but, uh, but after that, you know, all's well that ends well, except for we were quarantined, Renee, huh, in a media corral area. Yeah, um, you know, in in doing these events, I, I've gotten to do do them since Carrie. Now um, they've gotten uh, more and more and more strict with the protocol, as far as where journalists are allowed to go and where they're not allowed to go, and what they're allowed to do. Um, and I, I get it. I mean, nobody wants to see anything bad happen to a candidate, and and they have to be that way. But for us to do our jobs, it's really kind of frustrating. Um, hmm. Now, you with the egg sandwich. Well, I had a Secret Service guy uh, at the Hillary Clinton. Or Hillary Clinton was at the St. Patrick's Day parade, and I was too close, and I ignored the warning to step away from the candidate. I just didn't hear it, and um, <laughs> I felt a hand go back onto my belt. And I'm about 185 pounds. They picked me up like a gallon of milk and removed me. So I was like, wow, (laughs) okay, (laughs) right on. I didn't get arrested. It was good. Well, that's good. (laughs) Do you remember, uh, I know you did some Obama events as I I did. I don't remember it being that that tight uh, during the Obama events. I know at Soldiers and Sailors, for example, in 007, I guess, before the 08 election, or, uh, I was, uh, you know, we were able to, uh, I walked up and down, I took pictures around, I talked to people, um, and in fact, I went around back to where he was going to exit and get on his, I transport, I think it was a bus, and uh, he walks right out, Obama walks right out, and he shakes hands, he shook my hand, and it, I mean, we were we were right there, it was, but I, it's gotten so much more strict as we've gone down, and 
of course, back during the Bush, I also covered some some George Bush events. Um, that was sort of like the height of the of the press quarantine, um, and also like that those were the that was the the first we really saw the First Amendment areas where you could gather there to protest a candidate. You know, several mm-hmm. several several blocks away from the actual event. So. Things I think that's when things really started changing. I think was back when 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 George W. was uh, was running, particularly the second time. All right, Ashley Murray, Charlie Deach, Renee Rosenstiel, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Alex. Thank you. Coming up on Soundbite, Celine has taken us to a hop farm out by Slippery Rock called Keystone Farms. It was cold and windy, but we learned a lot about hops. Let's check it out. This week on Soundbite, I'm standing on the gravel driveway of a hops farm, Keystone Hops Farm in Slippery Rock, Pennsylvania. And I'm here with the owner and the farmer. Mark Perez. I'm the owner. No Petronic, farm manager. And we're going to get a tour of the beginning of the growing season today. Just describe what, describe what we're looking high, at high, for me. High brush. This whole area was almost high brush, very rarely used. Yeah, it used to be a goat farm, and then it just went unused for the past, what they said, like 10 years or something like that. So it was just overgrown weeds and, yeah. you know, clear field, but just underutilized. So. And what are all of these poles that I see? So, going back over the so property with with hops they grow they can grow 18 to 22 feet in season so they uh, and they're they're buying so they have little almost not they're different than grapes they don't have tendrils they have these little hairs on them that they attach themselves to whatever they can grab and climb up because they don't climb they won't climb sideways they just climb straight up so you have to build an infrastructure for them to climb on I'm really curious to know um, what the varietals that you select, you know, specifically for this kind of climate and whether, how you do that and what they are. Yeah, so, uh, so I've been growing hops for about, uh, about eight years now. Um, so the hop, the hop varieties that I've grown and that I know grow well here, they're, they're pretty common in the industry. So over here, uh, this, this portion of the acre is uh, Chinook, which is a high alpha hop, uh, you know, pretty widely used hop, an easy to use hop, uh, good for IPAs and pale ales and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> full pints Chinooky. Uh, so the, the varieties that we chose to put in here, I've, I have experience with, with the exception of one. There's one variety, Tea Maker, which is a uh, it's more on the on a back end of a brew, so it's a strictly an aroma hop. Almost no alpha acids, high betas though, so um, it's it's just for that little extra hop at at the end of the brew, I guess. Can I can I hit an inside baseball ball to you sure. right now? What's an alpha acid versus a beta acid? <laughs> In the beer world, your alphas are really the ones that you. that's what gives you that hop taste so your IPAs the higher the alpha the more that that hoppiness you get out of it Um, and the the more well preserved the beer is Uh, the beta acids it's it it, that's more on the aroma end. it they're a little interchangeable there on the aroma side of things uh, with those but uh, 
I, I could be. There's there's a lot more to those to those oils in it. There's I think there's over 30 oils in a hop cone. Um, if a, you know someone listening is probably going to correct me on that. But uh, yeah, there's there's a lot in the hop cone that you know brewers don't necessarily care to use or care about knowing. But um, you know there there's a whole world of oils in there and actually being looked at in a lot of medicines and stuff like that true or false when hops bloom it can give you strange dreams true (laughs) i had the great fortune of spending some time in the columbia river valley in august a few years ago and i was staying in a tent because i was working on this microbrewery and i started having really really weird dreams i guess it's probably important to note that uh, the hops are part of the marijuana family too so it has this, <laughs> yeah. hence the dreams yeah <laughs> there you go and uh, also used for aroma as we mentioned and uh and then the the taste but one of the things that you mentioned the, uh, on the sleeping some of uh for medicinal value uh I think for children to have trouble sleeping, they put actual hops in their pillowcases to help them sleep. You know, if you have stomach issues uh, or sleeping issues, uh, you know, I've made hop tea. It actually does calm your digestive tracts, and uh, yeah, it, it will knock you out. It How makes you sleep. Taste? Bitter? I added stuff to it. <laughs> a lot of honey. Yeah, a lot of honey and yeah, other other herbs. So, so come on, we'll walk over. Yeah, I let's, think that's... let's walk over. So to kind of give you an idea of what, uh, the, what's under trellis right here, and trellis is this wiring system in the poles, is approximately oh, three and a half huge. acres, which uh, is significant. We, 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 we thought about kind of the norm is you start with a quarter acre, half acre, an acre, but we determined from the beginning we're going to make it a business. So we have to, to, again, justify all the equipment. You have to go and make it as to a point where you can manage it start it up and we'll expand but start it at a point where uh, our return on investment will be quicker so tell me could you walk me through a day what's a typical day we're gonna have probably six to eight people from the morning to the end of the day training the plants to climb up there so you got roughly four thousand plants times three or four shoots per row so you could it's going to be quite a bit to get this accomplished so it'll probably take a week or so maybe i'll throw myself on your sacrificial labor altar (laughs) if i can come out with a microphone and do it yeah just be be me crying into the microphone as i wrap four thousand plants around what do you drink me i like my pilsners to be honest uh like even north countries they're slimy pebble pills or that one that one's really good um yeah, Buckle Blonde is excellent. That's another good one. But uh, I'm more on the lighter side of, uh, yeah. <laughs> Thank you both for coming out and showing us your land and sharing your story. Can't wait to drink some of your hops in the next beer I have. All right. In August. I was going to say, you're going to drink a beer till August. <laughs> I'm going on a long dry period here. Uh, dry season. Too ahead of yourself. <laughs> All right, thanks for listening today. That does it for episode 12. 
If you're missing the weekend calendar that you usually hear at the end of the podcast, just check out our shortlist page and you can listen to it there online. Thanks to our panelists today, and as Charlie said, be sure to pick up our election issue, which will be out next week. The City Paper Podcast is produced by Ashley Murray and me, Alex Gordon, with Celine Roberts. Additional music by me. That does it. Episode 12. Thank you so much for listening. Come back next week. Bye.